Well, approximately four years after Abraham's original encounter with the king of Gerar, whose title, not his name, but his title is Abimelech, four years after that first encounter, which we read about in chapter 20, he now has his second recorded encounter with the man, with Abimelech. And that is what we find depicted for us in these last 13 verses of Genesis chapter 21. The second meeting of those two prominent leaders of their respective domains was much different than the first meeting had been. Remember, the first meeting had ended with Abraham being extremely humiliated It was a very humbling experience for him because he had been reproved, and rightfully so, by Abimelech himself for having lied to him about his relationship with Sarah and having consequently put Abimelech and his whole kingdom in grave danger with God himself. So this second encounter, which is the subject of our lesson entitled Abraham and Abimelech, and as you can see, I was running late, and so you have nothing to look at except your notes and your Bibles, and don't look at me, but there's no overheads this morning. I'm sorry for that. But you can see on your notes that this lesson is entitled Abraham and Abimelech, and we're going to find Abraham in a much better light than we found him in the last uh, experience that he had with Abimelech. So you can see that we will have four parts of our outline, we're going to begin by looking at a peacemaking request in verses 22 to 24. That request was actually made by Abimelech. And then we'll look at a problem, a slight problem, which Abraham brings up. We'll see the problem reconciled in verses 25 and 26. Then we'll look at their covenant, which they made with one another in the section entitled A Pledge Ratified, verses 27 to 32. And finally, we'll look at a peaceful residence where Abraham will actually spend the next 30 years or so of his life in verses 33 and 34. So let's begin by looking at a peacemaking request, verses 22 to 24. Chapter 21, starting at verse 22. It says, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me hereby God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son. But according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. By the fact that Abimelech came forth to meet Abraham along with the chief chief captain of his army called Phicol. And by the way, that again is not a name, it's a title. We'll find another Phicol later on in the book of Genesis. So we know it's a title, just like Abimelech is a title. But by the fact that these two men came forward, the king himself with the chief captain, we learn that this was to be a very important meeting. It's what we might refer to in contemporary times as a summit meeting. Apparently, Abimelech had been keeping an eye on Abraham, which would be very understandable after all that Abraham had put him through. What Abimelech noticed... And what was probably also reported to him by way of his servants throughout his land there was that Abraham was doing exceedingly well. Not only would he have heard about the miraculous birth of his baby boy, Isaac, but there would have also been word of Abraham's increased prosperity. And although Abraham was not a king over a nation, yet he was... um, he was a she- what we could call a sheik. He was a-, a sheik over a very large estate. He had many servants and he had much livestock in addition to being an extremely wealthy man. So Abimelech was impressed. God had specifically before, in chapter 20, he had specifically told um, Abimelech in a dream that Abraham was his prophet. Remember that? God told Abimelech, that Abraham was his man. And the king had been wise enough 
to realize that it would be a good thing, therefore, if, if this man was God's prophet, it would be a good thing to invite him to live in his land. You see, he realized that it would be much better to have Abraham grateful to him and have him, in a sense, obligated to him than to have him as an enemy. Well, over the passing years, Abimelech would have also noticed that God was definitely with Abraham. And he would have realized that it would be another wise move on his part to make a covenant or a peace treaty with this very powerful sheik. Even though Abraham was not the head of a nation as Abimelech was, yet it was really not a very uncommon practice back in those times for those possessing large estates such as Abraham had to make peace pacts with one another. Remember we saw this back in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 13 that Abraham had made a kind of a peace pact or what we can call a, uh, he, he put together a confederacy with his neighbors when he was living in Hebron. He made a a sort of a treaty with Mamre, who was an Amorite, and with his two brothers, Eshcol and Aner. And they had formed this confederacy whereby they probably agreed that if either one of them were attacked or in danger, the others would come to their aid. And so now what we find is that the king of Gerar, down there in the land of the Philistines, he wanted to make a covenant agreement with Abraham. So he went out to meet Abraham, and he greeted him, notice with these fantastic words. This is a fantastic testimony to Abraham. Abimelech said to him, God is with thee in all that thou doest. That's in verse 22. What his statement shows there is that God had actually begun to fulfill his promises made to Abraham back in the beginning, back in Genesis chapter 12, some 30 years earlier when he had stated that he would bless Abraham and that he would make his name great. Well, Abimelech, who was a very observant outsider, he could look at Abraham and his life and he could notice God's blessings on him, that everything he did was being blessed. Just by the fact that a king desired to make a covenant with Abraham, we learned that Abraham had truly become a very influential and prominent person. For a stranger who had really only been in that land, the land of the Philistines, for about four years, this is very impressive. It's impressive that the king sought to maintain good relations with him. And really, this statement here that Abimelech made to Abraham, God is with thee in all that thou doest, that really should be very encouraging for us to hear because it gives us hope. It gave me hope when I read it. It gives us hope that even with those that we think maybe we have really blown it before, you know, as far as our testimony is concerned, because if anyone had blown it with Abimelech, it had been Abraham. The first time he met Abraham... Abraham had lied to him that Sarah wasn't his wife. She was only his sister. And then, of course, he got Abimelech in grave danger because he was going to lose his life, God said, over the matter unless he returned Sarah and didn't touch her. And and all the women in in his household, their wombs had been closed, and, and there was even danger for the whole nation, really. And we don't know how many people might have gotten sick, but we know Abimelech had a sickness that would have been a fatality. So uh, for him now to come to Abraham, who had left that scene with his tail tucked between his legs in great humility and probably thought, well, I'll never be able to witness to that man again. I have really blown it. And now to hear the king come to him and say that he knew that God was with him in all that he did, this should give us hope, right? Gives me hope about those that maybe in the past I have really not done a very good job of being a witness to them. God no longer had to tell Abimelech that Abraham was his man. He didn't have to say, this is my prophet. Now we find that the king himself realized that this was God's man. And so I just wondered, what about us? What about you? What about me? Do people have to be told that we're Christians? Does somebody have to say, well, she's a Christian? Or can they they look Can they know that we are Christians simply by observing us and by listening to us and by watching us? I hope that's the case.
Now, the purpose of Abimelech's visit was that he wanted to um, enter into a non-aggression treaty with Abraham. And this, again, speaks very well of Abimelech. It is a wise and a good thing for a king or a national ruler to seek to be in good graces with God's people, with the godly of his nation. Uh, The wisest ruler of all is really the one who seeks to please the godly more than he seeks to please any other group of people. It's really the doom of any nation when it fails to be at peace with the godly, with the righteous, and it instead attempts to make its peace with those who have no fear and no reverence for God and for his righteousness. So I say right now, praise the Lord, we have a Christian ruler in the White House. So Abimelech brought before Abraham his request for peace between them. And we find this in verse 23. And in that verse, there are a number of points to mention about his request for peace. To begin with, we notice that Abimelech wanted to make an agreement with Abraham, which would be an honest one. He wanted it to be based on their mutual, honest dealings with each other. His words, notice, swear unto me here by God. He's speaking about the right God. He had met the right God in the last chapter. He says, swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me. Those words served really as a reminder Don't you think? A reminder of Abraham's earlier dealings with Abimelech when he had purposely dealt falsely with him regarding Sarah. From all outward appearances now, it would would seem to Abimelech that Abraham had changed and that he was no longer involved in deception. His continual prosperity and his very large estate and his prominence and his influence and especially his miracle son, all those things seem to confirm that God was truly with him in all that he did. Yet Abimelech, you see, now wanted assurance from Abraham himself that he had changed and that he would not deal falsely or deceptively with him ever again. And this shows us, I think, that even though we may have repented of and forsaken some of our earlier bad ways, yet we have to admit that it takes sometimes time to prove to others that we have changed. All that takes time. Once a person, for example, has been found to be a liar or a gossip or a cheater, for example, just some of those things, then he is going to remain or she will remain suspect in people's eyes until he or she has sufficiently demonstrated that they have indeed forsaken that kind of behavior. So, you know, once we've blown it, it does take time. It's not something that happens overnight before people will again put their trust in us. God may forgive us, but we have to live with some of the consequences of it. Well, Abimelech's request for a peace covenant with Abraham was not merely something he desired for his own lifetime, but notice he also requested it for the lifetime of his son and his son's son. So this was something he wanted uh, not just as a short-term agreement between him and Abraham, but he wanted it to endure for generations to come. As we notice back in Genesis chapter 20, he was a good king. He was a very good king. He was a wise king because he wanted his nation, his people, to be protected from the ravages of war and injustice for many generations to come. You see, he wasn't just thinking of himself. He was thinking of future generations. And then he also desired a covenant uh, which was based on kindness toward one another. So he wanted it based on truth you know, that they would not deal falsely with one another. He wanted it to um, go on for generations, so he was speaking of longevity there. And now the third thing we see that he desired was that it would be based on kindness. 
He wanted kindness to characterize their relationship with each other and with their future generations. And this request for kindness really goes hand in hand with his request for truth, for honesty with each other. Lies and deceit are spoken from kind or unkind hearts. Which one? Obviously, lies and deceit are spoken from unkind hearts. So you see how it goes hand in hand. Kindness and truth go hand in hand. Abimelech could plead for kindness really because he had himself demonstrated kindness to Abraham when Abraham really did not deserve it. Even though Abraham's lie had almost cost Abimelech his life, yet Abimelech did restore Sarah to him untouched. And even though Abraham had wronged him, yet we find, or we found, that Abimelech was the one who lavished many gifts on Abraham. And he had even invited him to dwell or to live in his land. And that last kindness concerning the invitation to dwell in his land was mentioned by Abimelech at the end of verse 23. Notice when he reminded Abraham there that in actuality he was a sojourner in his land, the land of the Philistines. Now, who did that land really, really belong to? If you want to get technical, it really belonged to Abraham because God promised it to him. But we know that he would never actually physically possess it. It was to be his land through his seed. His, his future descendants would own it. But so actually here we find that Abimelech is reminding Abraham of several things. Number one, he, he reminded him of the fact that he had dealt falsely with him in the past, and now he's reminding him that he was a guest in his land, in Abimelech's land. So he was really reminding him of his own past kindness toward him. And then he pled his case with the words, As I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me. What does that remind you of? That's good. Huh? Yes, I heard it over here. The golden rule. This is the Abimelech version of the golden rule. The way the Lord worded it was like this. He said, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. That's what we call, as Levon said, that's the golden rule. If we would truly follow this principle in our dealings with all people, then guess what would happen? We would be very honest, we would be very kind, and we would be at peace with many people. Now, you can't always be at peace with all people, but as much as is within us, we can attempt to be at peace with most people if we would obey the golden rule. Well, uh, Abraham accepted Abimelech's terms because he knew that Abimelech himself was a man of integrity, a man of character, a good man. And furthermore, there was nothing wrong with the proposal, was there? I mean, a proposal which simply called for honesty, kindness, um, the golden rule, and peaceful behavior between their, their two people groups. That has, there's nothing wrong with that. So Abraham responded to Abimelech's request by saying, yes, essentially, I will swear. We see this in verse 24. Abraham said, I will swear. However... Before they set out to make their covenant pact with each other, Abraham did have one little problem that he needed to address. Since Abimelech had emphasized their need to be honest with one another, Abraham needed to tell him about a certain incident which had occurred at one of his wells, at one of Abraham's wells. He had to clear the air about this problem before they would ratify a peace treaty which stressed kindness and truth and the golden rule. So let's look at a problem reconciled in verses 25 and 26. It says, And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not... That means, I know not. Who hath done this thing? Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. The problem here, about which Abraham reproved Abimelech, 
had to do with a well, a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had what? Taken away, violently taken away from Abraham. Now, because the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, does not have a whole lot of rainfall, except during the early spring and the later fall, many of its rivers and its creeks will dry up for much of the year. Even today, with all of their modern irrigation methods, still water is a precious commodity in Israel. Now, in Abraham's day, it was even more valuable. Therefore, wells were vitally critical for the the survival of not only the people, but also for their livestock. And it was considered an extremely serious crime for someone to steal a well from someone else. You know, the owner was the person who dug the well. And it was a, a terrible crime for somebody to steal away that well or to fill it up which is what they actually do if you look ahead at Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. The Philistines filled up some of Isaac's wells. However, what we find here is that some of Abimelech's servants had violently taken a well which Abraham's workers had dug. I I say his workers because I can't imagine 103-year-old or 4-year-old Abraham out there digging a well, but who knows, maybe he did. (laughs) But anyway, the use of the word violently implies that the well was taken by force and that probably there was some injury involved in this. So before Abraham could ratify a covenant, a peace covenant with Abimelech, which was to be based on truth and mutual kindness, uh, this particular unkindness which had taken place had to be addressed. Right? You'd all agree with that. Needed to be talked about. True peace between the two domains could not exist without first dealing with this wicked deed which had taken place. Now, we might wonder why Abraham had not previously told Abimelech about this well problem. And some have actually criticized, some of the commentators I read criticized Abraham for his failure in not having reported the incident immediately to Abimelech. And he probably should have. He probably should have done that. He should have told the king about it right away. Because the best way to deal with a grievance is to do it right away. The longer you put it, put it off, the more bitterness can have time to take root in the person who's been wronged. And the more opportunity there is for misunderstandings to develop. And also the less opportunity there is to make peace. And the greater is the possibility of more evil taking place. If those servants who had done this wicked thing realized that Abraham didn't report it, didn't do a thing about it, they said, well, that was easy. Let's go and steal another well. Now, there may be several reasons that Abraham did not report the incident right away to Abimelech. It may be that he simply did not want to complain to the gracious king after all he himself had originally done to cause that poor man so much grief. Now, I'm not going to go and complain about this thing because just think of what I put him through. I don't even want to face him. I'm so embarrassed. His own deceit had uh, caused the king to be in danger of his very life, so this little well incident might have looked very trivial to him. Furthermore, the king had been extremely kind to Abraham, even though he did not deserve such kindness. He had given him back Sarah, as we already mentioned, along with many gifts, and Abraham was even living as a guest in Abimelech's territory. Now, although the well was located actually outside of Abimelech's territory. Yet Abraham himself was living in the land of the Philistines. So where the well was was outside. It was in a place called Beersheba. Actually, the well's name, the name comes from the name of the well. We'll get to that later on. But the well is outside of Abimelech's territory. But Abraham himself has been living within Abimelech's territory. And consequently, he he must have decided not to mention the raid of the well by some of Abimelech's servants. However, with Abimelech's desire to make this non-aggression peace pact 
based on truth and kindness and on the golden rule. I guess at this point in time, Abraham realized he did need to clear the air about this previous aggression against him. Now, Abimelech responded immediately to what Abraham told him. And he responded by saying that he didn't know anything about it. He didn't know about the raid on the well. And he denied knowing who had done it. And he claimed that he had not even heard about it from anyone until that very moment. He said, until today, I didn't know. And actually, his words to Abraham where he said, neither didst thou tell me, that's sort of an accusation. You know, in other words, it's kind of like saying, why didn't you tell me? Now, there are a few commentators that believe Abimelech was being deceptive here and that he really did know what had happened. Uh, And when I read that, it's just something within my spirit kind of just said, no, I don't believe that. And, of course, you, just like with Ishmael, whether he was saved or not, we just don't know. We can't be dogmatic. But based on the past integrity of this man... And based on Abraham's acceptance of Abimelech's denial, it seems reasonable to conclude that he was speaking the truth. Also, uh, based on verses 30 to 33, it appears that Abimelech did return the well to Abraham. And so I would say that the man was honest here, that he did not know what had happened um, over there in that area that was outside of his own territory. But whatever the situation might have been, Abraham was satisfied with his answer, and he was then ready to seal not only their reconciliation with one another about this well problem, but also to seal their covenant. So let's look next at a pledge ratified, verses 27 to 32. It says, And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he, Abraham, said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore, he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear, both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. Well, to seal the good relationship between them, Abraham, we are told, gave Abimelech a large gift of sheep and oxen. And then they probably took some of those, several of those animals, and used them as a sacrifice to seal their covenant with one another. Uh, Now, we had learned back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, that the making of a covenant often went beyond just the giving of vows, you know, oaths. Well, I swear that I will keep this, da-da-da-da-da. And the other guy says, well, I swear I will keep this, da-da-da-da-da. It went beyond that between the two parties. It also involved the slaying and then the splitting in half of animals. And then remember what happened? The parties would walk between the, the two rows of those um, carcasses. But in Genesis chapter 15, if you remember, only God walked between the the sacrificed animals because he was making a covenant with Abraham. He put Abraham into a deep sleep. He was making a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional. God was going to fulfill it no matter what Abraham did. So only God walked through the two rows of the slain animals. Now, although Genesis chapter 21, what we're looking at here, does not tell us that Abraham and Abimelech did this, it does tell us that they made a covenant, the end of verse 27. And since that was the manner that God had established for making covenants, we can assume that this was the manner that Abraham observed in his peace pact with Abimelech. Now, before we move on, Uh, to discuss some more of these verses, I thought it would be worth mentioning some of the comparisons that we find between the first encounter of Abimelech and Abraham in chapter 20 and this second encounter that we find between Abraham and Abimelech. In the first meeting, 
in chapter 20, Abimelech sent for Abraham to be brought before him. You know, remember when he was going to reprove him. So Abimelech sent for Abraham. In the second meeting, we find that Abimelech went forth himself to go and meet with Abraham. So there's a distinction there. In the first meeting, also, it was Abraham who was rebuked. Now, in the second meeting, it was Abimelech who was rebuked for what his servants had done. In the first meeting, Abimelech was the one who gave gifts to Abraham. Now, in the second meeting, who's the one that gives the gifts? Abraham gives the gifts to Abimelech, the sheep and the oxen and the seven ewe lambs. Also, we do find that in both accounts, both encounters between these two men, that the accounts ended with peace between them. So that's good news, isn't it? That's always good when men are at peace with one another. However, Abraham went a step further with his gifts to Abimelech, one step further. Uh, We are told that in addition to the sheep and the oxen that he gave to him, he also set aside seven ewe lambs. Now, do you know what a ewe lamb is? It speaks of the female, right, the seven female. And, of course, the females are more precious, more valuable, because they're the ones who have the babies. So seven ewe lambs were set aside to give to Abimelech. Now, not knowing the reason for why Abraham was doing this, we're told that Abimelech asked him what he meant by setting them aside. And Abraham's response was that these were a gift to Abimelech, which was to serve, these seven ewe lambs were to serve as a witness that he really had dug that well. That well really was his. He was essentially swearing to the truth of his earlier statement that the well which had been violently taken from him had been his. He wasn't just making that up. He wasn't dealing with him falsely about that. So the ewe lambs were to serve as a uh, witness to that. Now in Hebrew, the word for seven literally means, not seven, excuse me, the word for swear, the word for swear or to take an oath, literally means to bind by seven things. And this may account for the number seven concerning these ewe lambs. Also, as we know, seven is the biblical number for what? Right, completion and perfection. Abraham wanted to make sure that Abimelech knew that unlike the first time when he had purposely lied to him about Sarah... This time, he was perfectly and completely telling him the truth about the well. So both men were fully agreed to the covenant of peace as well as to the proper ownership now of the well. Abraham then, we are told, named the place of the well, which was apparently where they also went to make this agreement I don't know, perhaps Abraham was already out there when Abimelech came to meet with him. But whatever the situation was, they were there by the well when they made their peace agreement. And he then named that well Beersheba. This is the place where they they made this covenant pact. And Beersheba literally means both well of the oath, the well where they made their oath, to one another. It also means well of the seven. And the reason it can mean both is because in Hebrew, the word for oath and the word for seven are very, very similar. Shaba and Sheba. So you've got Beersheba, Beershaba. So it means both well of the oath and well of the seven. Now, another, we were comparing a minute ago between the two encounters, another interesting comparison between the first encounter of Abraham and Abimelech and the second account, encounter is that uh, <clears throat> in both instances, it was the wronged party, the party who had been wronged, which gave the gift. That's interesting, isn't it? In Genesis 20, even though it was Abimelech who had been lied to, about Sarah, yet he was the one who gave the gifts to Abraham. And now we find the same thing is true in Genesis 21. Even though it was Abraham 
who had had his well violently taken from him by Abimelech's servants, yet he's the one who gives the gifts of the seven ewe lambs to Abraham. Now, actually, if we look at this entire transaction of the covenant agreement between Abimelech and Abraham, we find a a lovely correspondence with God's covenant of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ as it's presented to us in Hebrews chapter 11. What we find in the transaction between Abimelech and Abraham involved three elements. It involved sacrifices, verse 27. They sacrificed some of those animals. It also involved witnesses. In verses 28 to 30, we talk about the witnesses of the ewe lambs. And then it also involved promises, the promises that they had made with one another concerning kindness and truth and the golden rule. God's covenant with us through the Lord Jesus Christ also involves sacrifice. Whose sacrifice? Christ's sacrifice, of course, Christ himself on the cross. That's in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 4. It also involves witness, a witness. The witness of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Hebrews 10, 15. And it involves, of course, God's promise, God's promises, his promise of salvation and forgiveness. And that you read about in Hebrews 10, verses 16 to 18. Furthermore, Just as it was the wronged Abimelech who was the one to give gifts, and also the wronged Abraham who was likewise the one who gave gave gifts, God, who is the one wronged by us, I mean, we are the ones who have sinned against him, yet he is the one who gives the gift. What is the great gift that he gives? His son and salvation. So beautiful correspondence here. I know, I think I did, didn't I? It's Hebrews 10, excuse me. I think I said Hebrews 11. I'm always going back to that faith chapter, but it should be Hebrews 10. Now the peace treaty which was made between Abimelech and Abraham at Beersheba only lasted about 70 years. This is the bad news. And that was the approximate years that were left in Abraham's life. We know that Abraham lived to be 175 years old. At the time he made this peace treaty, he was about 104 or 5. So the peace treaty only lasted about 70 years. Now, who do you think was the one who violated, who first violated this peace treaty? Anybody want to take a guess? No. It wasn't Abraham. It lasted until he died, but anyone want to guess? Ishmael? That's a good guess. You're close. Try the other son. Isaac. Isaac was the one who first violated the terms of this uh, peace treaty. And he, which, vi- which terms do you think he violated? The term about being truthful. Like father, like son. Guess what he did? He lied to a later Abimelech. The same Abimelech, another Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech is a title. He lied to a later ruler of Gerar about his wife. Amazing. You know, Rebecca. He said, though, she's my sister. So you see how our sins are passed on to our children? His lie was even worse because she wasn't his sister. At least Sarah was half-sister with Abraham, but Rebecca was only a cousin. She wasn't even a sister. And then what do you think happened shortly after Isaac had violated the covenant? The Philistines, as just as some of their predecessors had done 70 years earlier, they disturbed the peace agreement between Abraham and Abimelech by violating some of Abraham's wells. Amazing, isn't it? So you see why Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. History just has a way of going in circles. So, and then as we progress even further into the scripture, and we get into the book of Judges, as well as later on into the history of uh, Israel under the reigns of King Saul and King David, we discover that the peace between Israel and the Philistines was so non-existent no peace at all, that when you talk about 
a peace covenant between these rulers, Abraham and Abimelech, which had one time taken place. You know, they were on good terms. They, they built a, a peace agreement based on truth and kindness and the golden rule. Most people don't even know about that. When you say the Philistines, they immediately think of the enemies of Israel. But at one time, there was this good relationship with the early Philistines and with Abraham. And this is because, I think, because of the man himself, Abimelech. He desired to be in favor with God and with God's people. And that is what promoted peace. However, by the time of 1 Samuel chapter 5, when the false god Dagon, you know, he was like a fish god, part fish, when the false god Dagon took over the hearts of the Philistine people, and when the true god was held in the type of disrespect which we find evidenced by the Philistine giant named Goliath, he was a Philistine. And remember the disrespect he had for the true God, the awful way he talked about him in 1 Samuel 17, 45. <clears throat> By that time, peace with God's people, with the descendants of Abraham, could no longer prevail. See, to have peace, peace among men, can only exist when there is a proper attitude toward the true God on, on both sides. Even in the best of circumstances, however, uh, even if you have people who have a respect for God, since peace treaties are made by men, and because men are fallen creatures, they are sinners, all man-made peace treaties are doomed to failure. Have you ever noticed that? Every peace treaty which has ever been made has failed. No exceptions. <laughs> True peace will only come to this earth when the Lord Jesus reigns on its throne in the place of the current ruler of this world. Who is the God of this world right now with a small g? Satan. As long as he's the God of this world, there will be no peace. Only when Christ comes to reign, the Prince of Peace, will we at last have peace. But for Abraham, at least the remaining years of his life were lived in peace with his neighbors. After we're told that Abimelech and Abraham made their covenant and Abimelech and Phicol, you know, the, the captain of the guard or the, whatever he was, when they returned back to the land of the Philistines, then we read that Abraham stayed behind in Beersheba for a while. He had some planting he wanted to take care of and also some worshiping that he wanted to do before he then also returned back to his home in the land of the Philistines. I don't know, maybe they took his herds and his cattle out to that well. Uh, maybe there was whatever, but he, he went anyway. That was his well out in Beersheba, but he went back to live, to actually live in the land of the Philistines. So let's look at the last two verses, a peaceful residence. Well, let me read them one by one, because in this section you can see I've got three subdivisions. We're going to see, first of all, that he planted a grove, then he praised the Lord with a new name, and third, he proceeded to return to live in the Philistine land. So we'll start by looking at a plant, uh, that he planted a grove in verse 33a, just the first part of verse 33. It says, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. Well, following the retreat of Abimelech, and Phicol, we're told that Abraham planted a grove near the well, the well that he had named Beersheba. And this, they say this was, I mean, commentators aren't real sure if this was either a singular tree or a grove of trees, because apparently there's some um, discrepancy between the Hebrew word for grove. So it, it could be a grove or it could be one tree. But they, they are agreed that this involved a tamarisk tree. Have you ever heard of that one? tamarisk tree. A tamarisk tree is a small bush-like tree which grows very well in desert areas. It has a very hard wood and a cypress uh, type of leaf, an evergreen leaf, and they help to provide shade to desert travelers. Perhaps, I don't know if this is true, but perhaps it was actually a tamarisk shrub that Hagar had placed Ishmael underneath, you know, for a little bit of shade out there in the wilderness when he was dying of thirst. 
But, you know, Abraham has been through some pretty difficult experiences during his lifetime. And so he wanted to make a small contribution here for the future generations, those who would come along behind him. He was like the pilgrims who are described for us in Psalm 84, who passed through the valley of Baca, which actually is the valley of weeping, and made it a place of springs to serve as a refuge to refresh others who would one day come along behind them. The planting of a tree or a, tree or a grove of trees was to serve as uh, not only a place of refreshment for future travelers, um, but also it was a memorial of the peace covenant agreement that he had made in that location with Abimelech, the Philistine king. And it was a peaceful task. You know, sometimes when I just want to unwind, the, one of the things I like the best to do is to get out into to my yard and work in my yard and my garden. So this was a peaceful thing which served to reflect the peaceful circumstances which had just been made. Second thing he did was that he praised the Lord. Look at the last half of verse 33. After he planted the grove in Beersheba, it says, And he called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham was obviously very glad to have peace not only with his Lord and maker, but peace in his home. Think about this one. Peace in his home for the first time in many, many years. For the first time since he had made the mistake of, of lying with Hagar. Because what did we just look at last week? The dismissal of Hagar and Ishmael. So finally, for the first time, he has peace in his home. Not only peace with his Lord, but peace in his home. And now he even has peace with his neighbors, represented by Abimelech, who had essentially agreed to see to it that no more incidents like the violent taking of Abraham's well, would happen again. So Abraham is at peace. And therefore, he called upon the Lord in worshipful thankfulness. And in his worship of God at the well named Beersheba, we are introduced to a new name for God. And this is the third new name for God that we have learned about in our study of the spiritual walk of Abraham. Back in Genesis 14:22, Abraham had sworn by the God Most High, which is in Hebrew, El Elyon. And in Genesis 17:1, God revealed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, which is the Almighty God, the All-Sufficient One. And now here in Genesis 21:33, Abraham worshipped <coughs> the everlasting God, which is El Olam. E-L, and then a separate word, capital O-L-A-M in Hebrew, El-Olam. And actually the literal rendering of this verse reads that Abraham called upon uh, the name of Jehovah, the eternal God, or the everlasting God. Although Abraham had made a covenant with Abimelech, he had enough knowledge of human nature to know that that agreement would not last forever. And he was right, it didn't. It only lasted 70 years. However, God's covenant with him was eternal. It wasn't just temporary. The covenant God had made with Abraham was to last forever. God had promised, actually in chapter 13, verse 15, God had promised to give to Abraham's seed the land forever. And uh, he had even called his covenant with Abraham an everlasting covenant. That was in Genesis 17:19. So even though Abraham really had no permanent dwelling place in the land, yet he knew he had an everlasting portion in Jehovah, the eternal God, whose presence with him would sustain him and continually bless him long after all of the temporal things were were passed, were perished. He not only realized that his peace treaty with Abimelech would not last, but he knew that the wells which had been dug would one day 
cave in or be filled in, that they would not last. He knew that the tamarisk trees that he had planted would not last forever. They would perish with time. And he even knew that the altars he built to worship the Lord would one day crumble. But God himself and God's promises, God's word, are a different matter altogether. Because God is eternal, that means his word is also eternal. So, we have a new name for God now, El Olam. You don't hear that one very much. I don't know if anybody's ever even made a song. We know about El Shaddai, but not El Olam. Maybe because it's kind of hard to say. All right, let's look at the last verse now, verse 34, and uh, see how Abraham proceeded back to live in uh, Philistia. It says, And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Although Abraham would eventually return back to live in Beersheba. He'd go back to that well and enjoy the shade from those trees after they had grown up. Uh, Yet for the time being, he went back to living near Gerar in the land of the Philistines. And this, of course, is the land over which Abimelech ruled. Perhaps Abraham felt that with this new covenant agreement, He could live now peacefully with his neighbors and even have more of an influence over them for the Lord. Now remember, the Philistines of Abraham's day were much different from those that we are more used to hearing about later on in the scripture. Abimelech was a man who respected God, the God of Abraham, and he desired to be in good favor with God's people. So it was not a situation similar to Lot moving into Sodom. It's a different situation here um, because the people in Sodom, we were told, were exceedingly, what, wicked. They They had no, absolutely no reverential fear or awe for the Lord or uh, his, his people or anything to do with the true God. So it wasn't the, the same thing. And furthermore, Abraham would continue to dwell in tents, and he would be outside of any city. He would not go to dwell in the city, literally living among the Philistine people. So I know some people have said this was wrong for him to go back into that land, but it really wasn't. He had a peace agreement with them. They had a ruler who was, a, a, if not a saved man, he was at least a man who, who had reverential fear for the true God, and uh, Abraham knew he could have a witness there. Now, we are told in the closing of this chapter that Abraham lived there many days, and actually we find out that those many days was quite a long time. Uh, In fact, it may well have been somewhere around 30 years. That's a lot of days. So about 30 years, and we'll discuss the time frame between Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis chapter 22 when we come to our, our lesson after Thanksgiving. All we know of uh, Abraham's many days, which were spent living near Gerar in the land of the Philistines, is that it was a peaceful time for him and his family. It was a time where we can be sure that he and Sarah just had immense joy as they watched their son, their beloved son, grow into a godly young man. And they may have thought that life would finally contain no more testings and no more trials for them. Ha ha. (laughs) But God was still not finished with them yet. What he was doing in these 30 years was preparing them for yet another great test which lie before them. And that test is what we'll come to when we return after Thanksgiving and look at... God's command to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac will be an exciting, exciting lesson. A lot of typology in that chapter. All right, let's close in prayer.